Hey guys, welcome to the MC Anime Podcast. We cover anime, geek culture, Japanese aesthetics, and Asian studies. We are a multi fandom podcast, and you can expect to hear topics in your favorite hobby or fandom activity potentially. You can find MC Anime on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Also, please check out mcanimepodcast.com, our website. Furthermore, stay tuned in for another episode. This is MC for MC Anime Podcast. We're here with another episode, and Crystal's back with us today. Say hi. Say words about yourself. Hello, everyone. The local Alapapi is here, or the local artist specifically. <laughs> so, uh, where can they find you? What you do, real quick, and then we get into the topic. You can find me on Twitter, which is Shapeshift16, and I'm also also recently obtained the Tumblr, but I don't know that one's username off the top of my head. Ouch. <laughs> so, further ado, today's episode is going to be Asian Studies, Western versus uh, Eastern versus Western storytelling, and we're going to discuss elements of how Eastern civilization tell their stories and how, over the years, Western civilization has told their story through storytelling. So we're going to bring up some good examples of each one to give like a, a slight comparison. And then we're going to go into details surrounding the literature, the civilization, how they differentiate, and stuff like that. It's going to be a comparative analysis. So what do you think about the storytelling in today's episode? I, before you told me about this topic, I honestly didn't think there were that many differences between the two. I thought it was simply, I didn't think there were going to, I didn't think there were going to be that many differences until I actually did some research. Aside from the, aside from the often saying that the Eastern stories often don't have, oftentimes can have conflicts that are forced on characters. Sometimes that's just not fun. Yeah, that still happens from time to time. Except I've learned as of recently that apparently even Western, even Western stories can have so, can have plot points that can be forced on the characters and sometimes don't even look that fun. Yeah, and the the storytelling with that's kind of interesting in the Western side. Um, so let's jump into it. There's just different elements of the story convention, the storytelling conventions. In Western civilization, you have the American side, then you have the European side, which we know more about. Americans got their own style. So, and then, well, that's probably because most Americans came from Europe, so they actually so they would have taken the storytelling techniques from from Europe over to America. Well, but America is also unique because they've had own federal literature throughout the years. Theory I have is that it could have possibly been inspired by the native people that lived in America. I mean, they have, I mean, even if we don't have them documented, they probably have some pretty good stories under their arsenal. That's, that, that's an element, but most of the time it took, they took romanticized genre, cut it into fantasy, and then, then over time we got even more genres like science fiction, steampunk, and a different transition in each time period. Gothic, era, all that stuff. Quite impressive how many genres a story can fit under these days. I didn't think most of those would have existed. Well, back then, like the 1800s, 1600s, a lot of the stories from Europe and America at the time were one style of genre. So the author only specialized in one genre. Very few times did they go out of those helpless bits. <laughs> so the story conventions were pretty 
simple but effective any time. Like for example, the American side was always a happy ending. That's inc- that's important. It's very it's almost rare for something to ha- it's almost rare for something in America, at least early stories, to have either an ending with no conclusion or an ending that go- that goes bad for everyone. There's always got to oh. be happy ending for the main char- for the main character or the author of the story. And actually a uh, modern twist in American culture is this Disneyized Disneyization effect of fairy oh. tales bringing it back and totally changing to fit a new audience. Why, Cal? I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. The first one that seems to be coming to my head is The Little Mermaid with how they altered that one story. Like, well, that was live action, but they also had like different interpretations of the uh, the Grim Fairy Tale, which was the original fairy tale, and they put a happy ending twist on. And my that was to appeal to Western audiences as well as the as well as what could have been the target audience, which at the time were were a family film, so it needs to appeal to kids as well as adults. A lot of people don't look at the. The Grimm fairy tales were classic literature of Western civilization. They were this classic. Didn't they come from Germany? Some did, some, but they also came up from Europe, too. This, these are tales like Red Riding Hood, Three Little Pigs, Miss Muffet. Uh, they were pretty darker than what uh, American literature was putting out. Uh, I remember I remember a TV show I watched talked about that regarding the fairy tales. They actually were focusing on them and actually trying to touch on the original fairy tales, not the ones that have been altered by America. Oh, yeah. Oh, Pinocchio's creepy. If you look at the backstory and him, <laughs> just that type of style. That's how they did it. They had works that went into public domain so that they could put their own uh, trademark on that version of that story and totally change it to them how they fit. fit. And that's Unfortunately, why... Unfortunately, that's kind of well, how right. society is now doing stuff. They're taking the older stories and adapting it into a new story. They're missing what made the old story so memorable and so memorable. They're forgetting yeah. that part. And another element of Western civilization you have to keep in mind is the... Old genre of romanticized fiction. Mm. The, the star-crossed lovers, the, the romance, the how it actually plays up to the plot. Because I can recall the la- Oh, wait. I can recall Firework, but that's specifically a romantic film from the from Japan. But that was specifically supposed to be romantic. Anything outside of that, I could vaguely remember if there was any, like, intense romantic angles in some anime. Like, it's not the main focus. So, well, a perfect example of romanticized literature with Shakespeare, Romeo Joyer. Oh, I read that in the ninth grade. I was a great... I was, the, I was a nursemaid. Because, uh, when you think about romantic literature... His sixth primary characteristic: the celebration of nature, focus on the individual and spirituality, celebration of isolation and melancholy, interest in the common man, idolization of women, and the personification and pathetic fallacy. All those within Romeo and Julia, but I also saw those in a in other episodes of in episodes of Eastern cartoons that were inspired by the Shakespeare story. And all well, of them don't do it well, but there's one that is always pretty great according to its fan base. I watched the women was Julia in some aspect, but then uh, this 
what also Roman and Juliet is the star-crossed lovers new piece. So a lot of romanticized fiction and Western civilization uses an, an archetype. So Western civilization uses a lot of archetypes in the storytelling. And those archetypes basically come from the hero's ability. But uh, let's talk about the melancholy and the isolation for them. In Romeo and Juliet itself, they play onto the uh, tragedy comedy that is so known for the tragedy genre. And so like, I have something to compare it to compare it to that Romeo and Juliet angle. I'm going to be talk about the um I'll talk about the the um My Little Pony episode that was inspired by the tale. It does something it does something similar by showing how the character how the how the two characters presented how this how the relationship affected them over the course of years in compa- which is unlike Romeo and Juliet, the relationship took place over the course of several yep. years instead of several months. Yeah, because the melancholy isolation was the two families but be together and then the melancholy is the tragic is usually the ending of tragedy how that happens although unlike romeo and juliet the fate of both the fate of the two lovers at the end of the episode <laughs> is left up to interpretation unlike romeo and juliet it's not made yeah. clear what happened to them true so and it also is, they are deceased yeah, true. And they focus on the individual. So them as the individual, they want to tell Juliet's story, Romeo's story, how the them two trying to be together despite the obstacle. And Romeo is like the common man in the story too. He's thinking about it. He's the average Joe trying to get the woman he wants. Period. And Juliet, so you can relate to him. You can relate to Romeo as the common man. Because of the fact that we know what they're coming from. <laughs> and romanticize is really easy to relate to, so that's why it's so easy to tell it as a technique of storytelling. Because that's something that everyone inevitably has to go through. They have to go through the experience of finding that special someone and realizing you like them to the point that you want to spend the rest of your life with that person. And even if Western civilization didn't use romanticization literature, they definitely use romanticized obstacles. They use love as an obstacle sometimes. So, so when you look at that, then not every story is romantic is in that in that literature, but sometimes they just use it as a plot device. As love is the plot device in most stories. I always like stories that you. I often do like conflicts where the uh, conflict is caused by uh, by the by a booting by a friendship by a friendship most likely like someone yeah. turns aside and it's the remaining friendship from between the two friends that's keeping them from actually wanting to finish the job so to say true that is something that can happen in a different version of the endings of stories in europe versus america is the happy ending is the gray slash violet ending with the moral lesson at the end oh geez. so you can have a very gray or a violent ending but then you get a lesson that's taught to you at the end they do say the best way that they do they do say that the best way to teach someone a lesson is to bash it over your head with it. You got well, they don't sorry bash it over your head in. They well, kinda the best way give to it teach to you. the hard way. Yeah, they the give hard it to way you. usually Wait. lasts longer. It's not really a happy ending most of the time in Europe. That's why Shakespeare likes the tragedy genre so much. No wonder most of his tales end in tragedy. 
Yes. It was very common to uh, have that litty lady envy. And yet we Americans, we don't seem to find that enjoyable at all. We like having uh, we like having a solid conclusion. Even I'll have thousands of questions from something if it doesn't have a concrete ending. Well, but the thing is, uh, Eastern civilization that had any ending under the sun, that's the thing with that. <laughs> So that brings me good to the topic of the story convention in Eastern civilization. Typically, it's a reflection of life or the interconnected. So everything interconnected. I say one of the research ports I found regarding Eastern is that the plot doesn't that the plot isn't forced on the characters in Eastern stories or no. animes. It's for it's technically surround. It technically happens all around them. There's no direct antagonist in most oh, in most stories. It's often a, just a con. It's often just an issue between the two. The conflict yeah, that's, that's okay. no story. We'll get to that. Um, um, basically, there's the life of the reflection of life lens of interconnectedness and where it's basically things are where they are or they'll change. So there are chain events that happen as a story. They're just, that's, that's how it's going to happen. Cause and effect a lot of time. Better watch that cause and effect angle. True. Lovers are less likely to be together. <laughs> they try to be together, but they're not necessarily guaranteed to be together. They try it, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And why I never got into romance. <laughs> yeah, it took a lot of time too. Oh, here's a big one. Characters can be ended in dead series. Just like that. <laughs> so a lot of times in the literature of Eastern Civilization, sometimes your favorite character will be gone out of the story. Either killed off or taken out of the story completely. I can think of a recent example of that. What? Going into a, going to spoilers for the anime, if I were to say it. Sure, go ahead. If I must. For, it was for um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Go Rush. No shock there. During the... Uh -huh. they had... During the fifth arc, they introduced the idea. They introduced a concept new to them, but not new to the Yu-Gi-Oh franchise of carding people. This was a temporary death that occurred over the course of the arc until it was reversed back. Ah, I, oh. okay. So they carded people, and that's how they got them out. Oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And the uh, endings are not so happy <laughs> in Eastern Civilization. It can be any ending under the sun. It can be sad. It can be cliffhanger. Uh, it can be the self-sacrifice. So you might have a death in the ending to finalize everything. So it just depends on how it ends and how they want to tell the story. Strangely, the opposite occurred. If you don't mind me doing a quick tangent with, that's connected to that point of view. Revolt. I would actually, I would, I'm shocked that, I'm shocked to hear that when I know the GX dub gave them, gave them that same kind of ending for the dub season three. They did. They they didn't do the final episode of season three. They just ended the series on a kind of out of nowhere cliffhanger. Now, sometimes uh, serialization of uh, anime shows do that because they don't really do any more with both of them. Or they want to do the next series. True. So uh, we're gonna do a little bit with uh story structure we only did the story conventions now we're going to do story structure we're going to do the hero's journey and then we're going to do Kisha Tenkatsu, which is the eastern civilization story structure. all righty let her rip. so the hero's journey so typically in the west we have a superhero 
they overcome obstacles and as a result can do things like have help from the divine to intervene into their a group of friends or we call the band of friends they can <laughs> the quest, distraction by villain, they're disgraced by the villain, they have to overcome the disgrace, and typically it's good with speed. <laughs> so that's the hero's journey in a nutshell. There's a lot more for <laughs> archetypes in the hero's journey that can come along the way, but typically the story structure is a single character, it's usually that focus of that character, and then you have some flashbacks on their book of friends. Several cartoons flashed in my head with that description. Well, it's also a lot of times first person point of view. We get the point of view through the lens of the hero. So the story is told through the lens of the hero. Beesh. Or sometimes you have a narrator. That helps. Narrators usually do help. Kind of interesting because uh, uh, the biggest example of the hero's journey was the effort of the artist. <laughs> you know, Homer, he attributed that collection of work as one of the extent of Law of the society still using that as a lens for studying literature. I mean, I had to study it in high school. Similar to like the Liliad, which is also another poem, but it follows the Greek hero Odysseus. So what do you think of Odysseus in uh, the Odyssey? I mean, from what I can remember from it, which that was in high school, I didn't find the story that bad. I tried. I mean, the mention of the mythical creatures that are, that Odysseus had to go up had to go up against our counter was interesting. Although, strangely, if my memory is correct, doesn't that also end in tragedy? Yeah, kind of. Uh, kind so Odysseus is the king of Ithaca, and he's his journey coming home from the Trojan War. And anyone that doesn't know, the Trojan War was the Troy people fighting this all the other people trying to invade Troy. The reason why the fortification of Troy was such formidable, the walls around the city protected it, but they had a diversion to get into the city to give it discretion. So, but that's tangent early to get into. After the war, which lasted 10 years, his journey from Troy to Ithaca, from Africa and Southern Europe, lasted for 10 additional years, in which he told many tales and all the crewmates killed. In his absence, Odysseus was soon dead, and then Penelope and her son, Hamiah, had to continue with a group of unruly citizens. They were all competing for Penelope's hand and ranch. <laughs> so you have a displaced hero, the here's the king, the soon dead, and now his children of Ithaca have to find suitors in his absence for summer to rule. That was the time period, after all. True. Uh, a lot of times when uh, the, the Odyssey would, in the old lyric, this was a oral tradition. So, Homer's authorship of the poem was not questioned, but contemporary scholarship predominantly assumes that the Liliad and the Odyssey were composed differently in the storms for the oral tradition. Kind of like us sharing ghost stories around a campfire. Not the same kind of storytelling, but it was it was spread it was spread in a similar manner and also written yeah. down. A lot of times during this time period, the only way to tell stories was to, to vocally say it. So that's or, how we have now later stories. translations of that story is to sort of wrote it down to take reference. And thankfully, it, survi it survived for so long. There's so many stories from those time periods that have been lost to history for whatever reason. Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, we have like 
Yes, friendship. We have it with Tony. Testing and Olin. So this movie does like pave the way for the hero's journey. Uh, you know, we have such a group, like women, slavery, the nation. This is also remarkable. The exploits of kings during the Trojan War. The Odyssey is one of the most significant works of the Western canon. First translation of the Odyssey was in the 16th century. Adaptations and reimagines are always done. With BBC Culture got together, they said that the most enduring narrative was the Odyssey. I don't know. It's kind of interesting how it goes with Berlin. But we clearly see Odysseus is the law as the single hero. He has a group of people with him, his crewmates, but they all die off in the series. He's already left at the end. There's not really a bad guy in this series. There's uh, nothing you can say that is a bad guy. Yes, but there is a lot of overcoming struggle by yourself. Now, isolation tendency coming out really heavy. Nature of man, uh, you can relate to Odysseus as that point Trump gets to the fact. Uh, he's separated from his wife, so you have a love struggle incorporated into it. So, it also follows elements of the romanticized genre, but with foreshadowing the hero's journey story structure onto Western civilization. Thank God. I guess friendship is a big thing. Uh, he has friends along the way. That is kind of what the group of friends archetypes is based on. Testing the individual, the obstacles that come your way. You know, the hesitation to the Lord of the Artos, the identity, the Olins that come along. So it's kind of interesting. So that's hey. why the hero's journey with the Odyssey. And that's kind of how the hell is Zoddy kind of plays into a fact. Definitely, the villain gets established. He's one singular villain throughout the storyline. Most of them have that be the case. Whether it's a rival, someone who might, someone who made the hero go on their journey for whatever reason, oftentimes killing or harming a family member. Yes, and uh, the motivations of the individual are to the individual of the hero. So that's also a big play in that. So now we're going to get into Isha Chenitetsu, which is kind of interesting because all has four different departs. The key of Isha Chenitetsu, the key is the introduction. Show is the development. So key show is intro and development of the story. Ten is the twist of the complication. So key show ten is that part you introduce, you have a develop, and you have a twist coming apart. And then the Ketsu is the conclusion or the reconciliation. So they reconcile and that's how it all happens. That fits animes. That fits Savoy animes. Yes. Uh, Kisho Tenshu, uh, Kisho Tenketsu is actually pretty relevant in Western civilization. It's a four-part story structure that's really easy to replicate. Now, it's just like the hero's journey, as oftentimes the hero's journey is replicated, Kisho Tenketsu is also replicated the same way. It's an easy story structure that the civilization has, as a collective, I wouldn't say the majority of it used is follow that pattern in some form or fashion. I would have said it was a starting blueprint or foundation to a story. You start out by writing the baselines, which would be the hero's journey or the Western equivalent of it, and then come up with the concept from there. So it's actually a good foundation if you're wanting to write a story. Uh, typically, with storytelling, there is that structure. In charge of a writer, the archetypes, the tropes, Stuff like that, character development, they all 
you can find archetypes in folk all the time throughout different different cultures, different stories. So that's how they relate. So that's how archetypes can be getting into the storytelling to give it structure. They don't have to follow a specific genre or story structure, but they typically take inspiration from organization in the story itself. And uh, the example we're going to do with Kisho Tenpetsu is actually joining to the West, but so Doku. I recall them. I recall that being popped that popped up during the research development. Yes. Quest people might have a an example from Asian media. Dragon Ball comes example of Son Goku itself telling the tale. It originates in China. Wait, that wait, Dragon Ball comes from China? Yeah. Well, it's inspired by Chinese joining the West. <laughs> Oh, I did not know Wait, that. I said Son Goku. Does that Son Goku not sound familiar? Y- yes. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, so it's kind of interesting with Charlie. Uh, now, it was published in the 16th century, just the Ming Dynasty. And the attributable is a uh, real Ching Ching, in regards to the word in the classic Chinese novel, the most popular literary work in East Asia. So, there's other stories. But the reason why I done to the West, whether it's so many people, is just the power of it and the mainstream. So you could say the Odyssey and Judge of the West, the publication being in Brooklyn Breakfast for a similar time for the classic stories to be out. And uh and the option the most popular and now it takes a different version in Arthur Riley's version nineteen forty two, which is the abridged translation, which is monkey. So, we have a different version of it with a character named Monkey and says, I wonder if that's where the tale came from. <laughs> so, basically, the novel is a legendary pilgrimage of the Tang Dynasty in just months, Exxon base, who traveled to the western region, Central Asia, and India, to obtain the Buddha Sutra. We do a sacred test. They always turn out the many trials and what stuff we the long is the ordinance paying some vain for on a, in the novel. Kind of interesting because John Walker, who is the uh to, we also have the Bailey and the Shaw Wing Bean, all together with the Dragon Hunt, who has the same vein Bean, a white orc. The group of siblings joining Claudius as the enlightenment by the power and virtue of cooperation. So there is comrades in this storyline, but keep in mind they're there for a common goal. They're not there to be solely friends like the Odyssey. They're not friends. They're just on a related journey. Okay, that's they're typically there how a journey to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, Asian civilization typically, we don't have a group of friends trope, but you have people that band together for a common goal. So they are like a temporary truth. They fight together to achieve the end and they separate the weight. My mind went um, straight to Digimon with that, with, with the mention of <laughs> all right. They all circle around the gogglehead protagonist for some reason. Well, <laughs> Journey to the West is starting weeks in like Chinese folk religions, mythology of the Chinese. Confucianism, Taoist, and Buddhist folklore. The Pathalar is about immortal. Buddhist, there's still a heavy something of religions. The historical context was based on the historical events of Zarn Zay, a monk at Jin's Chi Temple. 
So that does explain that a little bit. And also, story television of Exxon's journey dating back as far as the Southern Song Dynasty, which included a monkey as the protagonist. And typically, this representation of monkey is also in Sun Goku, feeling like a god deity who's also a monkey attribute to. Uh, the supernatural abilities by Wukong symbolize all characters of why they thought his magic powers of the time and during the West writing, often translated in non Chinese versions. So, in some translations, says it's magic powers. So, the main difference between the Odyssey and Journey to the West is that there's more of a supernatural thing. The Odyssey is more cut and dry, establishing an old plot of Hero's Journey without divided information. So maybe there's not as much supernatural, but there is both like sweet gods and stuff. So they both deal with deity, but Journey to the West is a combination of different beliefs into the storyline, while most of the Odysseys, the Odyssey is mostly Greek. You can see that culture is like one way in one, but the culture in the other is different. You definitely see that. What are some comparisons you see in Journey to the West and Odyssey? Go with the fact that both of them, you, both of them pull from mythical, from myth, from, from stuff that was a myth and, and myths and legends and common folk tales at the time. Yep. I mean, there's no Cyclops in Journey to the West. I can even pop the other example, another example of how did the Eastern and the Western depict dragons again? Uh, uh, dragons for the East are the Chinese dragons with the black elephant that flies at least fire. The West typically depict dragons on top of gold in a mountain, typically a flying lizard with wings. So think in Eastern Civilization, think like a snake, but that has like scales and feathers flying in the sky. While in Europe, in Western Civilization, think of a lizard that has wings, like bat-like wings, demon. After the dragon, the Chinese, the Asians treated the treat dragons as sacred creatures to be worshipped. Whereas Europe treats them as creatures to be feared. Yeah, slay the dragon, save the princess. Those kind of stories are yeah. in Europe. And that's often the tale of that. Europe tends to follow a very streamlined story structure, while Eastern culture is more in more open to more interpretation. Because the introduction, the development, or the twist, the complication, or the reconciliation tends to have different effects to have the story told in Sinchu Ten Petki. While the hero's journey typically follows the same plot device over and over and over. Rinse and repeat. Yes. And typically, you have like the introduction, the rising action, the climax, the falling action, and the conclusion in Western civilization too. Ah, you the... have the introduction to the characters, what's going along the way, so you have the rising action. The climax is that big form of the story where everything follows the, the narrative changes. Then you have the falling action from the response to the climax, but then the conclusion is what happens at the end after the falling actions after the climax. I remember seeing, I remember hearing that in English class. Typically, uh, the climax in Isho Etsu is the twist of the complication. But it's not really a climactic turning point for the story. It's just a complication that needs to be figured out for the conclusion to happen. And thus, trying to figure it out would be the following action. And there you have, and once it's completed, then the, then the conclusion hits. 
Typically, the response to the complication. So, there is not really events leading up to complication. The complication is there once you introduce it all of it until the ending. Um, that's a big difference. Is uh, the climax in Western civilization is typically the focal point where the story changes. Or the complication in Isotetsu Tetsu is in. It just happened, but it relates back to the complication up to the end. But they always refer us back to it, and the weekend violation happens because after the complication ended, the weekend side at the end. Like, and that's your bit. And that's how you do a better science story, at least yeah. in the West. True. And uh, a big thing about the main difference between Eastern and Western civilization, Eastern civilization in the East typically used or against the, co the collective, you know, the collectiveness of story, while the West is the individuality of the character. <laughs> that makes sense. So the means for the collective is that if you face the collective, then the, the antagonist is typically in either the institution, society, or the supernatural. That's typically what the enemy is in Eastern culture. Typically, it's in groups instead of just one person. Western civilization is one bad guy versus the hero, which is a good guy. But it was just case. But in the West, it's never can't. But in the West, it's not that simple. Yes, the East is uh, a little bit more kind of put like supernatural out there, institutionalized the bad guy or the antagonist. The antagonist is not a single person or entity, it's a collective of what would be more fair. <laughs> Which would you rather watch? Would you rather watch something with one villain or one with a force being the with an antagonistic force? Yeah, pretty much. I like how. Uh, Collectivism is just the importance of the community's individuals are focus on the rights and the concerns of each person. Unity and selfishness are valued in collective cultures. Independence and functional identities promoted in individualistic culture. So what actually happens is this. We have unity and selfishness or patriotism that value traits on one side, personal identity and independence on the other side. So it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out in that, in that difference. Oh, that doesn't mean that. That does not mean that. What? That's not mean that. That does not mean that Eastern cartoons can't get can can get pretty close to a to Western cart to Western stories. Yeah. They can become pretty close in terms of how they write their story to the point that pe that people question: Did this come from Japan or not? Yeah. But yeah, one example of that would probably be your example that you want to share. Right, which would be the first, which would be the Avatar The Last Airbender, the first series. Yeah. Not talking about Korra, the live action movie, or the upcoming live action show on Netflix. Yeah, so that is actually doing the first interesting. So it's a Russia adaptation of media, but it focused on Chinese tradition. So it actually focuses on the collective, but also individuality at the same time. It's like a fusion the, of both stories. Yeah, the final nation is the collective, but a single legal. So you can still pick out the bad guy and the good guy, but you can also say that the entire nation itself is the aggressor and the antagonist. Even in the early seasons, which even in even in early of season one, we had a primary antagonist in the form of Zuko. Although he was a antagonist that would soon become an ally by the third season. 
Yes. He returns, he fights with the hero, but in Asian civilization, that story structure is that sometimes the bad guy becomes in cahoots with the good guy. So it's with the, very with the much, so it's, so it's pretty common in Japan, in, um, in Western culture for a previous threat to be a, to now well, be. Civilization. Right. The enemy uh, might... typically, Eastern, typically, Eastern civilizations follow that path. Western, typically, they have the bad guy. They don't usually return unless they were a weird-coming bad guy. They always like join the call... hero on the journey. I think like you'd call them the rival more than an antagonist. True. And something that also happens well. So, there's different elements to collectivism and the individual. But now we're going to get to the characters. Um, to... Do I need to... Say, do I need to explain the characters in the show? Or would you like to do the honors? You just do the characters in general how the civilization works. So in the West, you have the leading character, the impossible mission. They build the will, they're intelligent, they complete a goal. While the East, we just want to end the story, wanted something like the benefit of like a group to an idea, self-fascified, so they think she wins. Look, makes sense, and why did I see Avatar for both of those examples when you listed? Uh, the fusion aspect. Um, I mean, there is a old. I mean, you have the. I mean, the main character. It's from Aang's point of view, technically. You could argue it's from the point of view of either Aang or one of his companions' point of view, depending on the episode. But the goal is. Ed. But the goal name. It's trying to stop an, what seems to be an unstoppable an unstoppable war that's been going on for a hundred years. Mission. The leading character. Has to stop and it has to do an impossible mission to own an achievement. You want a you want a twelve year old to stop a one hundred plus year war? He got away from the first place. Give him three seasons, he'll get there. He builds up the willpower to do it. He builds up the intelligent factor by over the fight, and they complete the they complete the goal. So that's the West leading character develop. <laughs> but it was what the East civilization of the chaos that comes the play. They want to benefit like a group through the idea. So they get the group of companions to co- in order to achieve the mission. In order to defeat it, they need to learn all the elements. Which so they get Aang all together would, to do that. And no, which for Aang would mean having companions that know one of the other elements he needs to learn. He'll have Katara to learn waterbending. Sokka. They Sokka. Benefit- Sokka's the, Sokka's the comedic relief, but he means good. We get Toph, who teaches him how to do earthbending, and then Zuko, finally, for firebending. And also, um, to benefit the group, they are benefiting the liberation of one country's control over the entire world. So that's what they're fighting for, the liberation. So they're fighting for the group to be excess of that liberation. Self-sacrifice is at the end, and what are they willing to do in order to do the victory? Do I have to end the conflict in a way that's going to be disgraceful to me? That's talked about in the final, that's talked about during the final couple episodes of the series. Like, this, the way way that this should be resolved, the way that the world wants it to be resolved is to kill the Fire Lord. That's how it should be resolved. This this goes against Aang's philosophy. He doesn't want to kill someone. Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't want to kill someone. Yeah, that's the end of the tunnel struggle, he struggles with the entire car. With also doing anything to win. But however, being a pacifist by nature brings, brings the question, what is the alternative if you're not willing to do the most direct way to deal with it? So at least 
people wondering what is the alternative to Iraq on this list. For better, is there an alternative way to stop this conflict? Is and there a way to peacefully resolve this conflict? Yeah. Which so that's they, different than the characters go about it in they these didn't, stories. They, they didn't find, they found one for Avatar The Last Airbender. They found one for Avatar. They found a peaceful way to resolve the conflict. And I must say, clever, Deus Ex Machina outside, but very clever. I didn't see that coming. It definitely well, it's was not with a happy ending. It's, uh, it's like, a resolution into weakness violation. And even ends with, it even ends with a romantic kiss. Yeah, to top that's it. <laughs> and he has to put all cost levels. Lost the leak that's violating all the better. Kind of weird in a way. But now we have the villain. Villain and the whack is greed and power. That's the main motivation. Any, there is no sin with villain. There's all the supernatural element to be insisted in some kind of confronting nature. So the motivation of antagonism can be eased with just them being there, but being who they are. Waste itself and their people. Just while the West had a rise up and bring the power at that, to that character, so it's mostly for an individual. Trying to destroy the person individually in the West, I take it? Kind of, yeah. But they come from greed and power. They're greedy or they want more power to defend. I can't, I definitely see, I definitely see that, I definitely can see that comparison working out in terms of antagonists. Well, in fact, they look like that stuff. Retirate the overlord at the time. They wanted to conquer all, they wanted to conquer all the land and also slaughter all the power. Greed and power. And over time, the antagonistic nature becomes it's just by default. He was it so long that everyone else adapts the same in trait. I'd say that I'd say that works. I say I'd say that works very well. So with of, that being a lot well, of cartoons that come from either America or Europe tend to focus on that being the end goal with antagonists or villains. What uh, one that I love thinking about would be Koryoko Xana. It wanted to escape the supercomputer to take over the world. Something like that. Yeah. Well so uh with that being said, what are some notes of Western to Western storytelling you want to take the audience? Eastern to Western. I'd say, what I say, what, it really does depend on the story. It does, I'm not really focused on how the story is told necessarily, as long as the conflict and the story can get me invested in. Though I have been recently found that more of the more stories that are made in the in Amer in Asian or Japan or Japanese origin do tend to grab my attention faster than something in say America, Canada, or France. It's just something I've noticed. Plus, the story shelf is kind of interesting. Neil is doing it. I don't actually write most of the popular movies that we have, like Lord Ling, Harry Potter, Star Wars, are all following the hero's journey. And, you know, Studio Ghibli with, like, Fearing Her Away, stuff like that, has also adapted. But he showed Tenketsu is very relevant in the, in the actual setup of the story in so many media and stories like it. And we the see honesty being so pivotal to. Uh, Western culture as a novel novelty item. With Eastern culture, we have Johnny West being a pivotal medium in Chinese traditions being told in that way and actually highlighting a really good story to face other stories more. Essentially, we found our formula. Now let's use it to uh, use it as the foundation so we can make our own story that's not that's 
similar to it, but has our own character settings, plots, etc. True, and that's often the case in this in in this as well. So when you think about it, at the end of the day, what story structure would you choose to watch the media? Eastern. It's more interesting. Well, it's more open ended. More things can happen. It's not necessarily a archetypal storyline like here's Johnny that we've seen so much in the West. It's intimately peaked most of the time. Especially when you know nowadays that it's very difficult to find something that is solely one or the other. Especially within Western cartoons. A lot of them have been taking elements from that, from the Eastern foundation of most anime. So a lot of them are starting to take elements. The aforementioned Avatar, but you also have like... Code. You have. You can have Code Ryoko. You can add Gravity Falls. A ton of a yeah. ton of cartoons that have inspired a con countless others have been had some kind of Eastern ideas put into them, or even borrowing elements from them. Yeah, and there's also that cross simulation that we see a lot of times in storytelling. If one story story structure keeps being told in another culture, another storyline is going to take that take inspiration and make them their own. But that's just the the convention of storytelling. People find studies of other storytelling incorporating their writing, and eventually, sometimes that becomes an, an entirely new style and storytelling. But by them doing that, and then that inspires another writer to make another version, to make another, to make an entirely new story, which creates an all new genre. Then inspires another one, then another one, then another one, then another one. The chain continues. Well, I still find that here, Johnny is still so relevant in modern media. That Even is anime is starting to adapt some of the elements of it. But they already have some of the tropes. So, because the tropes are the archetype that anime follows is also similar to some tropes in Hero's Journey. So, there is some overlap there. On both ends, it's not just Western taking inspiration from Eastern. It's going all, it's going full circle. True. It's probably what maybe. What the better story? Journey <laughs> to the West or the Odyssey? The Odyssey, because I've actually read that multiple times. Alright. I actually tend to like the journey to the West. It's, it's a faction of multiple culture that I like, the multicultural aspect. And don't get me wrong, I like that element of multiculture. It certainly does add a layer of interest and depth. And as someone who loves looking up myths and legends of other countries, it certainly would be my bread and butter as you know, well. You know what's so weird? You take on the role of Isho Tenketsu as a story structure as your favorite storyline. I take on the role of Hero's Journey, but then we switch in what media of literature we covered in those topics. <laughs> I, I like Journey of the West, you like the Odyssey. So, you like the Odyssey, which is corresponds to Hero's Journey. I like the Journey to the West, which follows similar to the feature of Tenketsu. I love Iru. I love Irony sometimes. Well, I didn't. I might have gone on Odyssey, but Journey to the West is more impactful than me. Could also be because of what. Could also be because I have I have experience with the Odyssey before. As mentioned, we had to read about it in high school, so I actually yeah, have read the Odyssey. biases <laughs> might be applicable to both of us. <laughs> but which biases that we have, we don't know yet. We've been exposed to both. We've been exposed to both kinds. Although I think I've seen Ooh. more of the Western. I've seen more of the. I've seen more Western. More Western stories than Eastern. Yeah, true. That doesn't mean that I don't see how those are connected to Eastern storylines. 
Yeah, so uh, the Ingredients theme is about Asian studies, West, the Eastern to Western, well, versus, Eastern versus Western storytelling is this. You can use it however you want. Keep in mind, whether you take inspiration from is totally yours, if you create with this personal liberty and not actually take from the actual property. And go at it how you feel at it. How you feel you should like the story. How about you? Say, I... Since we both did not, it did not matter which one, which foundation we preferred, with which one we enjoyed. I think it on it, it does matter more about which which one you expose yourself to. You expose if you expose stuff to more Western, then maybe an eat. Maybe if you expose stuff to more Western, then that's fine. It's it's gonna be appealing to some people. And Eastern has its fan, Eastern storytelling has its, has its pe- have people who write for it as well, and some people who choose sure. to work together. So with that being said, choose whatever storytelling you like as a medium, whether it's the literature, the shows you watch, or the books you read. Just know that when you have it, when you see it, you can have it and have both the cake and the frosting as well. Once you see it, it cannot be unseen. But so that concludes this episode of Asian Studies with Eastern versus Western Storytelling. Where can they find you and all that good jazz? They can find me on Twitter. It is ShapeShift16, uppercase the first S. And you can find me on Twitter. My tag name on there is actually Crystal Colden. Everything's lowercase. Alrighty. Well, that's the pleasure to talk sir. Thank you for being here. And uh, bye, guys. This concludes another episode of MC Anime Podcast. MC Anime Podcast is available on podcast directories like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. We also have our website at mcanimepodcast.com. If you want to directly support us, then follow Patreon blog MC Anime. Finally, if you want services for hire, then we're available on Fiverr for audio and video production, graphic design, idea consulting, and blog and article writing. 